from the Duck South Studios in Morgan City, Mississippi. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. I want to punch you in the face so bad right now. This is the On The X podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I didn't get a harumph out of that guy. Get the governor harumph. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Today's episode is brought to you by Advantage Multi from Bayer. Advantage Multi is veterinarian's number one choice in the prevention of heartworms, fleas, roundworms, hookworms, and whipworms. Treats and controls sarcoptic mange. Make sure your dog is protected by using Advantage Multi. I said what I said and I'll stand by it to the death. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? And now, here are your hosts, Jay Paul Jackson. You just love to hear yourself talk, don't you? Even when you're not saying anything. Rocky LaFleur. Yo, Houston Kennedy. Please, Houston, we have a problem. And Josh Webb. Coons. We're raccoons trying to get on our back porch. Mama just chased them off with a broom. Welcome to the On The X Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I'm Jay Paul Jackson, and today, after a long hiatus, I'm glad to be back with my co-hosts, Rocky LaFleur and Josh Webb. Guys, what's going on? That's a strange voice, isn't it, Josh? <laughs> I've missed you, too. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's a nice way of saying we miss him. <laughs> I'm glad to have our waterfowl expert back with us. Yeah, well, all you turkeys have been talking turkey and left me kind of in the dark. And I will have you know, Rocky, before I actually went out uh, one day last week scouting. I wasn't able to hunt Saturday morning, but I went back out yesterday afternoon, and uh, I am about to be on here hopefully next week telling you about a couple of big gobblers that I've had my own. So uh, you've got me bitten by the turkey hunting bug. Well, if you, so you went hunting, you didn't, you weren't able to hunt Saturday. Were you able to hunt Sunday? No, I I went out, uh, actually Thursday, I went scouting and uh, Rocky, Josh, you're not going to believe this. I saw the biggest flock of turkeys I've ever seen in my life. It's funny because I went out about seven thirty, eight o'clock that morning. I was just going to glass a couple of fields next to a big woods that uh, holds a lot of birds. And I got there a little bit later than I'd planned. And when I got there, there were already about 30 uh, mostly hens uh, in a big group out in this field and a few jakes. And to my amazement, while I was sitting there watching them, all of a sudden, some more hens started to come down out of the trees off the roost on the edge of this field, and I watched probably 30 or 40 more hens come into the field. And before I knew it, there were probably 75 birds, hens, and jakes. And then uh, about 10 jakes came down at the far end of the field, and then about 20 gobblers came off of the roost And this was a 30-acre field, and within 15 minutes, it had over 100 birds out there. But what blew my mind was to see so many gobblers, mature gobblers, still in one group. Can you explain that to me? That is definitely going to be a Josh answer there. But, you know, here's the thing that, you know, when when we talked Friday and and you told me about that, Usually it's, now Josh, you can correct me, you're the turkey expert, but usually it's the gobblers that hit the ground first and they call up to the hens in the trees and trying to get them, coax them to come down. Is that not, and it kind of blew my mind when, when, when Jake, I mean when Jake, when Jay Paul told me that, that the hens were the first on the ground. No, nah, I've seen gobblers be the last one on the ground. Um... I don't actually really know. Who really and truly, more times, more times than a hint. Um, uh, case in point, Saturday morning. I mean, we had. I mean, we, we were set up on well, really in between two different turkeys gobbling, and and the one that was closest to us, he wasn't really. We were almost too close, but anyway, we were. We weren't. 
125 yards from him on on limb, and after he answered me twice, I shut up. Uh, we were right where we need to be. But anyway, long story short, he stayed up in the tree, gobbling, gobbling, gobbling. Uh, he and evidently we walked right under her coming in. She was a couple hundred yards behind us, but she flew straight down, came straight to him. He flew down with her, and they both walked up there together. Um, and I've seen that happen a bunch. I mean, I've seen it happen both ways. I killed a turkey last year, year before last, that his hens flew to me. They actually flew to me, and they flew all the way across the little bottom and lit in the tree that I was sitting next to in the tree next to me, and he flew down and walked up the road to me. Um, I've seen it happen both ways. I don't I don't think it happens more one way or the other. Um, I was always taught the gobbler was going to be the last one down. Um, and I probably see it that way more often, but, but, uh, I don't know. The more you deal with turkeys, the more, the more you see, I, I, I'm going to say it's pretty, pretty well 50, 50 in my life of, of seeing hens fly down and go to a gobbler and, and vice versa. Yeah. And I don't know which birds were first. I know the big gobblers were last, but when I got there, there were already, like I said earlier, um, a few jakes. It didn't look like any big mature birds, nothing with, you know, you know, 9, 10, 11 inch beards. But there were a few uh, jakes out into the field with the hens when I first started glassing it. So I don't know who was first off the roost, but I do know this. There was uh, more than a dozen uh, big gobblers that I watched come down very last. And they hit the ground, and, uh, you know, I expected them to immediately start strutting or, you know, try, but they really did. I mean, they hit the ground, and they just started to feed, and, you know. They're still acting like they're in a, in a wintertime pattern, which I'm getting that a lot from people up that way in Kentucky and everything else. It's, mm, that's what everybody's seeing for the most part. Uh, yeah. The turkeys, the turkeys that were killed over the weekend on uh, – in Tennessee, we're, we're, we're bunched up with other gobblers or bunched up with big bunches of hens and, and you know, just happened at the right place at the right time and people killed them. I, I don't know that I heard anybody um, say that they, they killed a gobbler that was by himself in Tennessee this weekend, which that's normal. I mean, that that's it's normal. It's, it, it's a normal year. Um, they're really just now starting to get broke up down here in Mississippi, and that's that's normal. That's about two weeks ahead of when Tennessee usually gets that way. So that's that's not shocking to me. Um, but um, I don't. It'd be interesting to see with as many jakes as you're talking about. It'd be interesting to see what what all the gobblers do because a big bunch of jakes will can screw up some gobblers very quick, very very quickly. Uh, matter of fact, I have. Uh, a place that I can hunt not too far from my house, but it's up in the hills. And I actually quit hunting it last year after going over there three times. And not here, well, one morning did hear uh, a couple different, you know, big grown turkeys on limb in the morning, but they immediately got shut up um, because every time I went over there, if there was any turkey goblin, there was a group of 14 jakes over there and they went straight to them and just whooped the crap out of them. And they kept that. They kept almost 2,000 acres completely quiet of of big turkeys gobbling and being very active last year. Uh, I think the next to last week of season, I finally got on a a grown turkey that was willing enough to to gobble more than two or three times. Um, I mean, it was just Jake's Jake's. Well, I mean, and I'm not saying it takes that big a group. I've seen I've seen two Jake's and three Jake's together completely run run off. Uh, a big mature gobbler. They'll do it. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out on that place you're talking about, Jay Paul, because yeah, um, Jake's we do have a lot of checks. I mean, that's a, a good problem to have. Don't get me wrong. Um, it's, a, it's a good problem to have. Uh, it's just good for the future of the place. Um, you know, but they they can they can throw curveballs in, into the plans for the season for sure. Well, this is a new place. I just acquired permission this year on it and got on it. And it's got a lot of birds. Went back yesterday afternoon to put a group to bed. And uh, 
had uh, about 30 hens. Again, big old group of hens that uh, actually, again, came uh, up on. But in this case, they were actually headed back to the woods and uh, they uh, went up onto the roost and there were four gobblers that I saw and I thought, well, all right, I'll go back tomorrow morning. And then when I got home, I got a call from a client saying he wanted to come see his dog this morning and train with me. So <laughs> I had to do something to pay the bills this morning. So dang it, I didn't get to go again. But uh, it looks like the weather's looking pretty good. I hope by next week, Rocky, I've got a, I've got a big it on the ground. May have to have you and Josh come help me. It's been a long time since I've done this. And, you know, spent a lot of time in the woods turkey hunting. But uh, the other thing that I saw yesterday that was pretty interesting was I'm already seeing some blue winged teal because it has been abnormally warm for the second half of March here. This is the first time in four or five years that I can remember us not having a March snowstorm in northwest Tennessee. And yesterday, uh, down in the bottoms, we saw several pairs of blue-winged teal. They're everywhere here. Yeah, they are are Uh, really... There's blue wings everywhere. One thing that I've noticed Uh, is we've lost our gadwall. Yeah, we did have a uh, ton I did know of that. We had them. Yeah, we had them there for a week and a half. Um, but the blue wings are they're everywhere. Uh, well, they're starting so to I show up here. It's yeah, about two weeks yeah, early. They're making for, uh, their way. Yep, it's good to see them there, though, man. Because I tell you what, I am missing duck season, and and I really have. I wasn't just saying this to patronize you guys, but I've missed both of you. I've missed our conversations, and, and I've missed doing this podcast today so you know rocky you said you had a a a couple of things that you wanted to talk about today earlier before we began and you mentioned the fact that uh now is the time to start planning if you're going to travel in this fall and you want to uh do something out of the ordinary for duck hunting and uh i've got to say i 100 percent agree as a matter of fact uh just this past week I've started planning two or three trips um, for this fall and and doing my due diligence and the advance work for that. So, you know, I know a lot of people haven't thought much about ducks over the last two months extended, but if you're planning on going somewhere right now is the best time to start booking that. What do you think, Rock? Oh, I agree. And that, you know, that was one of the questions that I had for you because in seven years or eight years of traveling and filming duck hunting TV shows, you get to see some of the best and worst case scenarios in duck hunting <laughs> because um, you film a TV show or you you filmed a TV show. And what I mean by that is a lot of times people, I'm sure you got calls or emails about, hey, come on out here and film a show with us. We got a ton of ducks. And it turned out it wasn't much going on where you went to. But then there's other places that produced every time you went to those different places, states, etc. And I, I wanted to ask I wanted to ask you about some of your worst and best experiences in all of your travels of duck hunting. <laughs> I could tell you the worst right off the top of my head, or one of the worst. It's the one that pops right to mind. So uh, this is probably in year one, maybe in year two, um, of filming Drake's Migration Nation. I had a guy, and I'm not going to call his name because he's actually from Mississippi, and and I'm not sure, and I'm sure a lot of our Duck South guys will know who I'm talking about after a minute or two, but he ran an operation down in the Delta, and uh, he started calling me. Maybe it was year two because he started calling me about coming down and hunting. And all I heard from this guy was how amazing the hunting was going to be and, you know, how they were absolutely slaughtering him and what an unbelievable place that he had um, 
down there to hunt and that, you know, it was, uh, uh, yeah, just, you couldn't imagine Rocky Josh, somebody building it up any bigger than this guy he built it up. And so then when we show up, uh, and I didn't know anything about this guy really. And this is one of the things that taught me to really, really vet my people way, way ahead of time. Because when we showed up, the first thing that happened when we pulled up was a guy came out that was working for him as one of his guides that I knew. And he pulled me aside and he said, Hey, I just want you to know that I tried to get him to call you and call this off. And I'm like, Holy crap. You know, what's going on? What have we got into? So we went in that night and, uh, I started talking to the guy about where we were going to go in the morning and about the fact that, you know, we, uh, we observe all laws that, you know, it's not worth my career to shoot one extra duck that ethically I have a huge problem with it. And as a professional and that, you know, we were, we're really, really, uh, careful dot the I's cross the T's all that sort of stuff. And I saw the guy that was going to be guiding us along with him the next morning, giving sideways looks over at him. And uh, he was telling us about this farm that we were going to go to that next morning. And then after we had this conversation, um, the guy comes back and uh, says, Hey, I, man, we need to talk. And they go in another room. They walk back into our room. He says, well, change plans. We're going to go to another place. Well, it turned out that the place he was going to take us to, they had like shot twice the limit, two or three times the limit on for three or four days in a row. And they actually had ducks still hidden in a hollow log and a stump on this place. And then the next morning, the place that he did take us to, I'm pretty sure he didn't have permission to hunt on. And uh, because he wouldn't, didn't want to go in the main gate of it. And, uh, when we came out that morning, we, we didn't do very well at all. When we came out that morning, I knew the neighboring landowner. So I called him and sure enough, this guy was trespassing. He was actually took me and my friend to poach on somebody else. And thank God, you know, we didn't get, we didn't get caught. And, and as soon as I found that out, I confronted him, um, about it. And, uh, he said, well, look, look, yeah, we do need to, talk about that. I've got another place that we're going to go to this afternoon. And then he disappeared and left and we went on and left. We weren't going to stay and hunt with him, but I called the next day, the guy that I knew that was the guide for him. And he said, man, I haven't seen him since he started stuttering and stammering when you called him out on, on trespassing earlier yesterday, he left and he hadn't come back yet. <laughs> That has to be one of the craziest and worst, you know. I mean, first he was going to take us to a place they didn't violate. Next, he actually, you know, took his trespass on land. He didn't even have permission on and, and, you know, carried us in the back door. And we didn't go any ducks to speak of to boot. So, you know, that one really was a big eye-opener. The other thing that um, I, I learned through it was beware of the guide that tries to sell you the experience ahead of the hunt. And uh, I had a couple of times, one in Kansas. Again, I'm not going to name the outfitter. He's still in business. Now he is, this guy is reputable and ethical. So, uh, but this was one of my first experiences with calling somebody up, man, you know, where everything's set, we're ready to go. We're going to roll in Tuesday night, hunt Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, anything special we need to bring or anything. And the guy's like, no, nah, man, just come on. You know, everything's like I told you before. Well, are we going to kill any ducks? And the guy's first thing out of his mouth is, you know, yeah, I think we're going to kill some birds. And, uh, but we're going to get some great footage because I've got this big cornfield that we use as a refuge that I've literally right at dark got thousands of ducks coming into man and you can film those birds coming into this roost and man you can get some great footage just thousands of ducks coming into the roost and uh i'm like no whoa, whoa, wait a minute 
I didn't ask you if we could get great footage of ducks coming into the roost. I asked if we're going to kill any birds, you know. Well, we're going to kill some, you know, but, man, I'll still get you the footage of birds even if we don't, you know. And, and of course, when you're filming a hunting show, the only great footage is killing ducks. You know, nobody wants to watch ducks swarming a refuge. Most of us can go somewhere close by during duck season and see that live and in person. It isn't worth a but, damn. But, but, a sunset route, but, but a sunset route for a sizzler reel is awesome. Oh, it is. It is. It, it, but you can't make. But you can't make a thirty-minute television out, episode out of that, Rocky. No, <laughs> no doubt there is. You know, the thing is, the thing is, when the guys and tell you, you know, and, and I've learned this on guided hunts where we weren't filming too. When you've got a guy telling you that, hey, your experience here at my place is going to be out of this world, whether you kill a duck or not, you better turn your butt around and run. Because what he's telling you is, you know what, we're probably not going to do very good hunting, but I'm going to try to make it up to you in other ways. So, you know, that always was a red flag for me. And, and you know, luckily I didn't have many just just horrible experiences um, while we were filming and, and while we were out hunting. I learned well, after let me ask the you first this. year how to what? Where are some places that consistently produced for you as a TV show? Where you know people planning to hunt now? Where is somewhere? I don't care if you say the guy service by name, but you know what are some what are some places that you had some exceptional hunts that every time you went there it was it was good to above average. Oklahoma, with and 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 I've got to call the guy's name because. Uh, we've had him on the show, but he put he's put me on a good hunt on a half a dozen occasions. I've never had a bad one. As a matter of fact, the worst hunt that I ever had was awfully damn good with Brad Allbeck of Allbeck Adventures. And Brad consistently put us on birds. Um, was just one of those things that if I needed a slammer, I could call Brad, and I knew I knew I was going to get it. Um, and there are a couple of other really good reputable guide services also out in western Oklahoma that have good reputations and it's an area that produces and produces extraordinarily consistently very impressed um uh, another place that always produced was um down around uh Louisiana Delta Plantation Honey Break Catahoula Lake, depending on what you wanted. If you want to kill a canvas back, Catahoula. And there are two or three good guide services as well as the guys at Honey Break um, down there and uh, Full Strapped Stringer, some other guys. But had really good experiences most of the time in that part of Louisiana with the guys from Honey Break. I don't think that uh, Drew Keith and his staff ever put me on a bad hunt. Um, well, I'm gonna hey, I'm gonna name one while we're on the subject, and you know we hadn't brought it up in this podcast, but uh, in outdoors and Mr. JJ Kent, I don't know if the listeners that are listening to this know, but JJ passed away back in February, into January. Um, he had a surgery, uh, heart surgery, and he had complications from that surgery. And we we lost JJ and man I, I'm gonna tell you something. This past winter when we were doing that migration report, I had a lot of great conversations with JJ. And I know you had a lot of great hunts with JJ at Ken Outdoors. And you know but, the thing that's so sad about that passing, besides the fact that we lost a great guy and we lost a great member of our community, JJ was one of the you bring up good hunts. I never had a bad hunt with JJ. And the reason I never had a bad hunt with J.J. is because if it wasn't good, he would tell you in a heartbeat, this is the way it's going to be. And, you know, if you want to still come, come on. But I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that it's going to be awesome when it's not. And, and you know, I always respected that about that man. And I didn't mean to interrupt you, you know, but I just had to get that in there. He was a guy that, you know, you always had a great hunt because when conditions weren't right, he owned up to it and let you know. Man, the the it looks like before I get into this, but it looks like Ken Outdoors is, is gonna continue on with you know, now that JJ's gone, looks like some of his guides 
are going to take over the business um, and continue on with Ken Outdoors. But, you know, in talking with JJ when we were doing this migration report back here in the wintertime, the knowledge that that guy possessed about the science of duck hunting and just, I'm not going to say that he had more knowledge. Yeah, I will. Dude, he, he was unbelievable in talking to him about duck hunting and patterns of ducks, what they were doing in this, this type of situation. And it, it's a big loss for the duck hunting community in losing J.J. Kent. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Definitely, definitely left a hole there. Well, look, before, and, and, before, before we leave this, Jay, Jay Paul, I want to ask you this. What about up north? North okay, South so, Dakota, so, Canada? Because I know people are, that's the, you know, they're really planning those trips now because, you know, you're looking at uh, September, October, early November hunt in those areas. You know, uh, Canada. So Canada is a little bit more hit and miss. There was a time when Prairie, Saskatchewan in particular, it was automatic. Uh, when I first started hunting up there 20 years ago, you didn't have the pressure. Um, if you're wanting to go to Canada, I really still like Saskatchewan and Alberta and uh, select areas of British Columbia. That your outfitter. Take a good look. If you want to kill mallards and you want them to have green heads, go the first week of October and you can't go wrong. Just um, a lot of guys have set up in their guiding in Canada that weren't there 15 years ago. And, yes, it's a great destination. But uh, I have I, – I know guys that have went to Canada in the last, you know, eight or ten years that have had subpar hunts, you know, because they were with people that were subpar hunters. And so it's not automatic, but it is a very, very – um, high probability hunt. If you're gonna, you know, uh, if you want to do an early deal, nowhere in the north is like Canada. Um, another th- place, South Dakota. South Dakota more so than North Dakota because hunting pressure in North Dakota is really, really growing. In South Dakota, it's not nearly as bad because if you're a non-resident, as you and I both know, because we've done it, Rocky, you've got to draw for your license. So put in. Put in for it. There aren't a lot of outfitters in South Dakota for that reason. Um, obviously, we've had Matt Shower, Northern Skies. You and I have had great hunts with him, but there are other good ones um, all around uh, eastern South Dakota. Another hey, slam what, Jay Paul, hey, before you leave South Dakota, what's the – I can't remember. The application deadline for South Dakota July. is in May – okay, July. I thought it was in June. I think it's in July. I think it's late June or early July. Take a look. Uh, South Dakota Game and Fish has an excellent website. tells you everything you need to know about the deadlines. There are various areas. Um, my suggestion to somebody, again, this is the time to start. Don't wait until late May or June to plan that hunt. If you're going to go to South Dakota, you need to be locating a guide service right now, and they can tell you the area, if you're going to hunt for them, that you need to apply for, and that's really, really important. So start seeking out your guide service, particularly for duck hunting uh, in South Dakota today, where you know the areas you're going to put in. I'll tell you, Rocky, another one that has been consistent and is a neat, neat place. And again, I've got to bring an outfitter uh, to the forefront here because he's the only one that I know there. But in Northern California, 107-day duck season, and mallards, pintails, unbelievable numbers of speckle bellies, much, much more liberal bag limits on specs in California, I believe it ranges anywhere from five to 15 birds per day, depending on when you go in the season in that Sacramento River Valley, uh, snow geese, um, and they hunt very different. It's a different population of snow geese. They follow a different migratory path. So, you know, you're not hunting um, snow geese in California that come uh, from that St. James Bay area and the area of the eastern tundra that's being denuded. These are western birds, and they react very differently. Feisty fish outfitters, uh, Scott Feist, this guy kills ducks 
and geese pretty much from mid-November all the way through the end of it in January. Um, you know, first of November can be really good. It's 107 days, so you got a lot of flexibility in booking these hunts, and all you've got to do is find Scott's Facebook page for Feisty Fish Guide Service or take a look at his Instagram. And what's really impressive about Scott is, because he's such a social media guru, um, he does a great job testifying for his business because you can see consistently every day new pictures where they're killing ducks and geese. You know, this isn't somebody that's, you know, just re recycling pictures from three or four glory days during the, the season to make it look like he's kicking ass. This is a guy that you could take a look at doing it day in and day out. And so few people from our area of the country, Josh and Rocky, know how good the hunting is in Northern California. Um, same thing is true for Colorado. Really, really love Colorado. Well-kept secret. It's pretty good outfitters in that Fort Collins area around Colorado and up around Greeley and Sterling and in those areas. Really, really like Colorado. Um, Flat River of Nebraska, another neat, neat place. Um, I've never been there and hunted, but uh, know some guys that consistently kill ducks in both uh, New York State and New Jersey. And you want to look at some exotic places, uh, that's a really, really good place to consider. And then finally, um, Outer Banks of North Carolina, some really, uh, really good hunting over there in the Outer Banks. Very, very different. Um, Virginia, North Carolina, I'm trying to think of the name of the guide that we know that is the most consistent one it just doesn't come to mind maybe i'll be able to pull it up later in the podcast but uh if you're going to start planning particularly for northern california um south dakota louisiana you better book it now oklahoma you better go on and book it now because a lot of the best ones have their regulars and they have limited dates that are open and they're going to fill up all right, well, I'm going to bring the data man into this. Josh, I bet you've never been called the data man. But, Josh, from collecting all those reports. Do what now? I think we Josh, lost Josh Rocky. Hang on. Sorry, my phone was cutting out. I, said, I don't even know why you would call me that. I'm going to call you the data man because you, you thought that you would never have to say these names again. But you collected all this data and put it together for everybody that listens to the Only X podcast and is a member of Duck South. But you put you put all this together last year, Josh. I'm going to ask you from from going through a whole duck season last year because unless the weather is crazy next year or this coming duck season, and you just knew that you were going to have an average winter like we had last year. From all that data, where would you tell people to go to start planning their trip to go to? Because we can't go to the Pacific Flyway, the Eastern Flyway, but the Central Flyway and the Mississippi Flyway, what, you know, where would you tell them to go to? I'd tell everybody the same exact thing. I got a call Friday, Friday about lunch from a guy, a good friend of mine. I know he'll be listening to this. And, and he called and asked me that. He said, man, I'm looking uh, you know, somewhere to go. I'm kind of getting ready to plan some trips. And as soon as I said it, he said, what? I said, yeah, I'm serious. And the first thing out of my mouth was Oklahoma, Brad Albeck. <laughs> and, and he said, are you serious? I said, yeah. And if you're going to book it, you better book it now. And I'm not trying to push you, you know, over the top towards somebody directly, whatever. I said, I'm being serious. Um, Oklahoma, Kansas, North Texas, I mean, that's where I would go. And I know guys that are getting out of leases in Arkansas um, because they're just fed up with uh, multiple things. And and they are currently leasing ground in that area of the Central Flyway. 
uh, and others are looking for ground there. Um, it's still not that bad of a drive, um, and and the possibilities are endless out there um, for people who know and care anything about duck and goose hunting. But I mean, but I'm serious. I mean, I, we had a long, long talk about it the other day, and um, I mean, and he's not the only, he's not the first person I've told that. But if I'm if if, if I was looking, somebody told me I had to book a trip or let's book a trip into Oklahoma, um, Kansas. Uh, we made some good friends through uh, through Jed Lamb and, and the guys, uh, some mutual friends of his. It's called the Kansas Hurt Locker. Um, they have an awesome operation. Um, there's multiple. Uh, I mean, there's there's no shortage of guys in Kansas, Oklahoma, but that's where I'm going. Uh, with without a doubt. I mean, with no no second guessing anything. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's just so good out there. And, and the thing is, the way that farming operations are changing out there with all this irrigation and stuff, um, from what I understand, uh, peanut farming is expanding out in western Oklahoma, and those peanuts draw both ducks and yeah. lesser Canada geese. You know, it's a neat area, and I know there are guys that listen to this out there. They're going, "Shut the heck up!" You know. Yeah, <laughs> no. I mean, but, I'm not. I'm not trying to pull away any attention from like the guys in South Texas or even the guys in Venice, um, because I mean, there's phenomenal, phenomenal hunting there. Um, but that's two completely different types of, uh, of of hunting too. I mean, if you're going to Venice, you, you know, you your chance of killing your six ducks and them being six different species are really high. That's fun. That's a fun hunt. You can also sure. couple in uh, an afternoon or, or two of, of fishing, uh, which that I mean that's that's a ton of fun. And that I'm not trying to to turn any attention away from that area. Same thing with South Texas. But um, you know if if you want to see what bird numbers in the Mississippi and Arkansas Delta looked like 20 years ago, then go to Kansas and Oklahoma today. And I'll tell you another neat place. And dang it, it's just hard to find an outfitter out there. But Montana, you know, I hunted in Hardin, Montana, and um, Twin Leggings Outfitters, I cannot think of that guy's name, be easy enough to Google. We went out there and hunted with him several years ago and just had an unbelievable hunt, actually two um, on a couple of tributaries on the Little Bighorn River. And, and it was unreal. Unfortunately, the guy that we were out there hunting with, the guide, he was a wonderful guy at a wonderful lodge. He didn't know anything about duck hunting or goose hunting. I mean, he was totally clueless. He just knew, hey, this stretch of the river sometimes gets birds. Let's go throw out some decoys. You know, and, and uh, we got really, really lucky. The weather was perfect for us on our last day of hunting. Uh, it got down in the single digits with a 20-mile-an-hour north wind and snowing like crazy, which, believe it or not, because uh, those rivers up there, a lot of them are really fast-moving and they're warm spring-fed. That's what you want. Those birds are coming to that open water and coming to that food, and we just smashed them. But, you know, for me, people ask all the time, where's the coolest place that you've ever hunted? And I can't nail down just one i mean i spent three of the best days of my entire life hunting out of layout blinds and cornfields with you in south dakota a few years ago rocky and that was just an unbelievable hunt but um you know was it the best you know what what's the best i mean for me something different a lot of the times really is what stands out and montana if you can find the right guy if you want to do something neat Montana is definitely one of those destinations that that I would be looking at. You know, what's funny is over the next couple of years, now that I'm not doing TV, one of my goals is to kind of revisit some of the places that I did uh, with the television crew with me, just doing it for fun. And all those places that I named are places that in the next two years I'm planning on heading back to. Colorado, Montana, definitely going to Oklahoma this year to hunt with Brad and to Northern California to hunt with Scott. I'll probably find my way down into Louisiana. Um, 
northwest Missouri. It's great hunting up there, and that northern zone is earlier in the year. Provides uh, a really neat opportunity earlier in the year than what we get here in the south. So, uh, you know, if you want to start planning, these guys book up. Start calling them now. And, well, look, I, 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 yeah, but for, look, we got a couple of things left. And I know you guys have got to get off this podcast pretty quickly, but one of the things I wanted to ask you, Jay Paul, before we leave duck hunting is about the new um, hardcore decoy. The, the commercial that's going around on social media, and before you do a, just a unscripted hardcore <laughs> commercial, I, I'd rather talk about this than do that. The new decoy that they're about to release, uh, they had a video going around on Facebook with the guy stepping on it. Tell, can you tell us, if, in, you know, in a, a sure, I'll tell you all it. about it. So here's the thing. The latest rage in decoy technology is what we call EVA decoys. And the EVA decoys are are different from traditional weighted or non-weighted, but the weighted kill decoys uh, in a couple of three different ways. Number one, they are made out of a flexible material that does not get stiff when it gets cold. Now, why is this important? Well, for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, during really, really cold weather, uh, they're not going to break. They're not going to crack. They are much, much harder for a still shot pellet to penetrate. You know, the bad thing about traditional plastic decoys, a lot of times, if you accidentally shoot one, and hey, they're going to be casualties. I have decoys get shot every single year, have since the day I started hunting, and will have until the day I quit, I'm sure. But, you know, a lot of decoys, particularly if it's really cold and they've become brittle, you don't just get a tiny hole where, say, a number three pellet goes in. You get a big hole where it breaks out that hard, brittle plastic and really punches a big hole in there. Um, you are not going to get that with the new EVA decoys. Number two, uh, they're almost indestructible. You see in one of those videos, uh, Jim driving over um, one of the new decoys with a uh, three-quarter ton Duramax truck. Okay, I mean, you can drive over this thing and not destroy it. They're resilient. They spring back into shape. And then number three, and one of the things I think is most important, because of the nature of the material that the EVA decoys are made out of, they hold the paint and look great. They're easy to clean up. They don't crack. They don't chip. They really, really withstand the beating. You know, if you've taken a look, there is an outfitter in the Boot Hill of Missouri, a guy that does tons and tons of snow goose hunting. And last year, he put up a couple of uh, videos uh, where he was hunting with field decoys and floaters of the uh, most recent version, pre-EVA hardcores. And he's out there with a baseball bat on a day after an ice storm breaking the ice and beating the ice and snow off of his hardcore decoys with a baseball bat without damaging them or or, or busting them up. And so the people at hardcore, those guys, they've been obsessed with making a decoy that really would hold up and that was the most durable one out there for the hardcore duck hunter. And already they were very, very good. The um, elite series that I hunted over last year were phenomenal. I mean, literally, I broke ice every day um, with a mallet. If you know, we left them out overnight, and they had ice on them, and they held up. These new decoys—that's just the next step. It's the latest thing. They hold their paint great. They're unbelievably tough, and they are durable. And I'm really, really excited to be hunting over them this fall. So did- do they feel, I mean, in, in feel, do they feel like the Avian X, like turkey decoy? Yes, very similar. I mean, there you've got two or three manufacturers that have all raced over the last year to come to market. And Hardcore's not the only one, you know, um, as far as being dedicated to the duck hunter. I think they're the largest. And um, I'm a little bit biased because I am Hardcore's brand ambassador. 
But the paint schemes, um, you know, are extremely good. And yes, they are they're they're flexible. I mean, they feel rubbery, if you will, very similar to some of the uh, turkey decoys that are on the market today. Well, I'm going to have to get some to try out for next year. All right, well, let's look. Let's go to the last thing I wanted to talk about today. Uh, Jay Paul, do you remember all the times about talking about sports last fall and Josh getting on to us about talking about sports? (laughs) Yes, unless it was Mississippi State football. He just didn't want to talk about sports at all. <laughs> he won't even talk about Mississippi State football. And I Josh, know he doesn't want to talk about that basketball game last night. Where did you go to yesterday, buddy? Tell it tell us a little bit about that trip out there and how it all came about. We had a great time, thank you very much. And if Old Miss <laughs> goes to the World Series in baseball, if it's within a reasonable drive and not gonna cost an arm and a leg, we're gonna go to that too. Oh uh, look, I was pulling for him. Because I go to, I, I, I really do, I go to games really from both schools about equally. We we go to Ole Miss football games, we go to state football games. I have not been to many, I haven't been to many, either one of the basketball games in a long time. I used to go to a lot of Ole Miss basketball games um, and go to a lot of state baseball games. But anyway, the other night we were, um, Obviously, like everybody else, watching the Mississippi State girls play and um, and, and really debated on on that game uh, going out there. I mean, Dallas is not but six and a half hours from my house, and uh, it's an easy drive anyway. And, and what a but, game you know, that they, was! They, they, yeah, I know that game. that was the thing. I mean, that was uh, that was unbelievable. Um, and I will. There were very very few. Uh, UConn people left around the Dallas area when we got there yesterday. Um, there were some, but um, I know a lot of people who got their ticket for yesterday's game from UConn people that were leaving um, <laughs> and and were selling them for face value in Dallas as they walked out um, because they obviously bought their tickets for the whole weekend. And after they realized they weren't going to stay the whole weekend, they were um, – I mean, I even I, I know people that were actually got some from some UConn fans, um, two for the price of one, because uh, they were just ready to get on the plane and go back, uh, go back home. They weren't they weren't planning on staying. Um, but it but anyway, after they won, we 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 jumped online real quick just to see, uh, you know how much how much a, a ticket was going to be, and it was was very uh, reasonable. Um, now I will say we that was I mean we literally got on there. With I mean, within five minutes of the game being over, and, and bought tickets, but the same tickets that we had within an hour of us buying them were just a little under triple that price. I mean, there were people sitting in the same section we were who paid who paid two and a half times what we paid to be there. Um, and it was unbelievable how fast it went. Uh, I mean, Mississippi was there in full force. It was fun. I mean, it was a lot of fun. Um, I'm gonna t- here's my thing. It was a lot of fun um, being there. You know, that, that shot that that girl made to beat UConn, that shot will be replayed oh, hundreds uh, upon hundreds of times over the no next doubt. 20 to 30 years. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 was, um, it was unbelievable. I know people that were there at that game, and they were just uh, – what, what the people, the Mississippi State fans that were at that game – that it was unbelievable in that in that gym that night because of there were people with any and every kind of uh, school supportive uh, shirts and jerseys on you could imagine that were cheering for Mississippi State um, uh, just because you know not it didn't take long into that game to realize that that they had a chance of beating UConn. Um, and uh, you know, I unfortunately think that that might have been state's uh, bigger focus rather than winning the national championship um, because it was it was just almost like two completely different teams played um, again. You know, versus the way they played against UConn was not 
reflected in the way that they played against South Carolina yesterday. But it was. Uh, I'll tell you, I will say this. It was a lot of fun. If, if, if somebody should be happy that Mississippi State beat UConn, and call me crazy, but the ones that should be most thankful for Mississippi State winning is not Mississippi State itself, but South Carolina. No, it's South Carolina, oh, without a doubt, because South Carolina. South Carolina couldn't beat yes, UConn. No, and yes, they had to play a hot team in playing Mississippi State, but South Carolina's also beat Mississippi State twice this year. They knew how to play Mississippi State. And they, they I, I don't know, it would have been another, I mean, not just because I'm a, whatever, a supporter of Mississippi State. I mean, it, it would have been another national championship for, for UConn if they would have played South Carolina. Um, I, I mean, they, I just don't, now, I don't I see how they the could have yeah, the style of play. And, you know, guys, for me, the greatest thing about it was an all-SEC final. And yeah, because, exactly. You know, I, and I know we've got, you know, guys that follow us and listen to us up in the north and out west that get sick of hearing the three of us talk about the SEC. And I apologize in advance to to, to those guys. And, and, you know, don't want to offend them because great ball is, you know, played all over the nation. We saw um, this year – that the SEC certainly wasn't as dominant as we have been in the past in football. And, uh, you know, a lot more parity in college football there, but, you know, um, in college basketball, with the exception of Kentucky and, and Florida, men's game is almost non-existent. But outside of there, you know, football, women's basketball, um, gymnastics, uh, last year, um, because I've got a niece that's into dance and gymnastics, I started watching. Well, it amazed me to see how, you know, all of these SEC schools have ranked programs in gymnastics. And if you take a look at women's college softball, which I'm fixing to leave and go watch my daughter play a high school game tonight, I'm a huge fan of the women's college softball game. And we have. 11 or 12 teams from the SEC that have been in the top 25 uh, in rankings this season. And 10, I think, uh, it'll be interesting to see what tomorrow's poll has because I think Ole Miss is probably, um, or Arkansas is probably going to drop out, but Mizzou's probably going to come back in. But I think in last week's poll, there were 10 schools from the SEC in the top 25. I mean, you know, that's 40% of the top baseball. 25. Yeah. Yeah, and baseball, you're gonna, oh, my God. You're going to have four SEC teams in the College World Series, and the only reason you wouldn't have more is they set up the regionals where they knock each other out. Yeah, yep, and same thing's true, you know, with, with college softball. So to see women's basketball for so many years, you know, Tennessee was so dominant, and, and you know, I hate to see that women's basketball at UT being a Tennessean, um, isn't what it once was, but it's nice, to stay, but it's going to come back. I assure you, it's really good to see, you know, that, that, and it was great to see the support also that the schools in the SEC show for their women's programs. I mean, you saw the atmosphere that, you know, was there at the final four. Thanks yeah, that's to, what I was just going to ask Josh. Josh, yeah. well, I mean, what was it like? What was that? I'll say that, um, yes, there was there were a lot more Mississippi State fans there versus South Carolina fans there. But to me, that had to do with just the ease of travel. I mean, look, we, there, was, there was so many people on the road headed over there, um, you know, yesterday is unbelievable. But the thing that you kept hearing, the thing that there were posters of, the thing that there were T-shirts of, was was the simple fact is look the SEC did it again. It wasn't that 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 we're going to beat you. It was the SEC's you know here again, um, and 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 even um, I guess that was I don't know was the whole halftime show televised. I don't know if it was. What were no. they doing at halftime? Okay, they had a, they had a entire tribute to Pat Summit in Tennessee basketball. The whole entire uh, the halftime of that game was. It was unbelievable, um, and it was and and it was standing ovation um, after standing ovation for for SEC accomplishments in 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 sports and especially basketball. 
And, um, I mean, it was what halftime was 20 minutes and 15 of it was, was Pat Summit and Tennessee basketball. Um, so it was, and it was awesome to see that. And then that's all people were talking about was, uh, yeah, maybe we're here for Mississippi State. Yeah, we're here for South Carolina or whatever. We were here for, for UConn. They got beat, but it's crazy to see, you know, two SEC teams battling out. Um, and, and it was, uh, of course, you heard a lot of people talking about, well, you know, SEC is just dominant, and I'm, you know, I realize that a lot of people that were saying that are, or were there representing schools not in the SEC. Uh, so it was really cool to see that. Uh, to be, the atmosphere was awesome. I mean, it was, oh, it was, it was intense the whole time. And that was, you know, that was another big reason we really wanted to go was just, um, just to be in that type of atmosphere. I love being in that type of, in that type Shout of out. atmosphere. Um, I mean, I'll tell you, it, I'll it, tell you was, this. it was a lot of fun, and that and that arena um, was. I mean, yes, it's big, holds I don't know how many thousands of people, but is that the, hey, is was, that Dallas Mavericks arena? Yeah, is that where yeah, they yeah, play? yeah, yeah. The American Airlines arena is where the Mavericks play, but it was there was there was literally not a bad seat in the house. Um, you really didn't even need the jumbotron in there. I mean, you can see everything is is there, and you're close, and you're engaged the whole time. It was. It was a lot, you know, looking like where the men are playing tonight. You know, they play their the national championship tonight. You know, they're playing in the football stadium. Yes, they have to accommodate a, a bigger crowd, whatever. But I would not like that because, you know, the basketball court for pay attention tonight is in the middle of a football field, and so you've got people sitting. Golly, there'll be people feeling like they're sitting a half mile away. I mean, that like there there'll be thousands of people there tonight who can who will be inside of that arena but they'll only be able to watch it on that jumbo truck and so it's not Amen. that engaging um you know it's not it, it can't be that much fun i mean i'm sure it's fun but but um i really hate that i didn't go watch any of the sweet 16 in memphis uh we were talking about that last night at supper uh, i wish i would have gone um because the, because that atmosphere and because it was uh you know i'm gonna say close quarters but but I don't know, just just more involved in what's going on. So it it was. I mean, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I would, um, you know, that's what we were talking about last night. Just you know, just going ahead and getting tickets every year, regardless of who's playing, as long as it's a you know a, a reasonable travel, um, because because it, it's just fun to go. It's just fun to be there. Yeah, and um, I tell you what, if you want to check out something too, really really fun. Go to Mississippi State, Ole Miss, uh, Mizzou, Auburn, Alabama, any of those, Arkansas now. Um, check out a women's college softball game. I know oh, absolutely. Miss, man, that new, the new facilities, both Ole Miss and M- Mizzou's, is brand new. I think Ole Miss is in their second or third year. Yeah, it's, it's, huge old, it, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, my sister plays college softball, and and it's um you know, and Ole Miss lets them stop through when they're on road games. They let my sister's team stop through and take back and practice and stuff because they're traveling once or twice a week. And uh, that that place is unbelievable. And the thing about it is, uh, I know I know at Ole Miss, um, like Sunday afternoon games are free for anybody um, yep. to go. And uh, and and. You know, you go and uh, it's just oh, it's unbelievable. It's it's a ton of fun. I know a lot of people are like, eh, softball, whatever. No, no, man, softball, you gotta try. It softball so in general is is intense. Uh, I don't know how there's any girl playing fast pitch softball at really and truly at any level who's playing the infield and and if they're not wearing a mask, I don't know why they're not wearing a mask because it. <laughs> It's intense, and I mean, I've always enjoyed watching my sister play, and of course, my mom's played and, and coached most all her life. And now my sister plays collegiately, so I mean, I, I, mean, I, I love it. Um, I've, I've always been a big fan of it. Well, and let me tell you, you just brought up a point, and and I've got to go, and I know you do, Josh, but I, I want to say something per, on a personal level um, here also. In Saturday's softball game that was nationally televised. Um, on the SEC network between Mizzou and uh, number nine, Alabama. A young lady, second baseman for the University of Alabama, um, Demi Turner from Huntsville, Texas, 
uh, a real standout at the University of Alabama in softball in a freak accident, took a shot from her shortstop who was throwing the ball to try to throw a girl out where she just fielded it at first at point-blank range, nailed Miss Turner right in the right orbital area of her eye. And uh, no information. This is Monday, and we still don't have any extensive information on Demi's um, injuries. It was to her face, appeared to be to her right eye. It was um, very horrific. SEC Network didn't replay it. We were actually watching it on satellite, so we were able to rewind it, and all you had to see it was once and realize that she probably has sustained a super serious injury to her right eye. She's right-handed. I can only assume she's right eye dominant. And uh, please pray for that young lady. I think that's a young lady that's very deserving of our prayers. She has been a, a great student athlete for the last three years for Coach Pat Murphy's program there at Alabama. Um, on a personal level, having lost my right dominant shooting eye recently, I know how devastating that can be. Hopefully she has not, but, um, you know, I'd ask everybody to, to pray for that young lady. She wasn't wearing a face mask, and you're right. I think it ought to be mandatory in softball. Of course, my daughter's a pitcher and, and now third baseman, and golly, Bill, it scares me to death, Josh. Where does your sister play? She's, th- she's starting shortstop. And um, I mean, and she, she's played short and and third all her life, and uh, I, I mean I, I don't she uh, you know and she doesn't sometimes, but uh, I, I for her too every every day. I mean it just but you know away from that, uh, I mean the in, the intensity level of of fast pitch softball is is unbelievable. Uh, that's what look. That's, it's, that's it's what happens when you narrow that field down. I've talked to oh, you about absolutely. this numerous times, Jay Paul. When you narrow that field down to so small, you know, compared to mm. to baseball. Oh yeah, man, it it is intense. Yeah. I mean, it's fast. Oh, yeah. It is a fast. And this was a freak accident. And I brought up Demi Turner just because I wanted to urge folks to pray for. I think the young lady needs our prayers. But it is an exciting game. I mean, hey. You know, we were back yesterday. Um, Ole Miss, Ole Miss uh, played on TV. Uh, Mizzou was back on playing Alabama and actually took two out of the three. And so I figured they're coming back into the top 25. But, man, there is not a school in the SEC that it is not just thrilling to watch them play softball. I, I mean, you know, from top to bottom. It is really a neat game. And, yeah, 60 feet base, base pass instead of 90. Uh, the pitcher, the rubber is 43 feet instead of 60. And those girls can flat out bring it. I mean, it, it is, you know, reaction times are unbelievable. And the level of athleticism from these girls, you know, is amazing. To me now, professional baseball is just, unless we're in the playoffs, it's just boring as heck. You know, I still like college college baseball. It's a little bit faster paced. But if you really want to see something exciting, check out girls' softball game in the SEC. Well, guys, we've covered a whole broad range of, of, of things here. But, man, I've enjoyed talking, enjoyed being back. I've got two things I want you guys to think about for next week because we're going to circle back around for our listeners. We've had a lot of people wanting us to go back to duck hunting a little bit. So, uh two things that I want to talk about with you guys next week. Number one, there was a big firestorm about three weeks or so ago on social media, particularly Instagram, concerning the cover story in the most recent Delta Waterfowl magazine. And uh, I'm going to talk about it today. You guys, if you're not familiar with it, you just need to check it out. The cover story was about the decline in the popularity of duck hunting. And um, when they shared that on Instagram in particular, wow, some of the comments, you know, and the reaction was very, very strong. Take a look at it and make your own decision yourself. Number two thing I wanted to talk about, and Rocky, you just sold your lodge, about a growing trend 
in guided hunting going away from paying by the day to paying by the trip. And uh, I want to talk to you guys about your thoughts on that. So uh, check out well, look, the latest issue of Delta Waterfowl and let's discuss it. Well, look, before we go, we can't forget our boy, Joseph Presley. Hey, did you talk Amen. to Joseph last week? Yes, I did. I certainly did. And Joseph and he, he, is willing to he help. He tell me about a couple of unbelievable properties. And he actually helped me with a property for a client of mine here in Tennessee that didn't have anything to do with the commission for Joseph, which was pretty impressive that the guy, he really does want to, you know, he just likes putting people on the X with the kind of property that they're looking for. Yeah, I mean, Joseph, at Four Corner Properties, I mean, next purchase that you are looking for in Arkansas, Louisiana, or Mississippi, give Joseph a call, whether it be turkey, deer, or duck. You can reach him at 601-540-7240. Joseph is a guy that helped put together the sale of of my piece of property. He did it in two days. So I am a first-hand witness. I mean, I just mentioned Josh was there the day that I mentioned it to him off the cuff. Did I not, Josh? No, oh, yeah, that's the truth. I, I went. I, I was sitting there, and uh, I, I just I, he he said, yeah. "Oh man, I, I'll I'll check in. I'll check about it and just see if I can find somebody that might be interested." Within two days, Joseph had a buyer. So whether you're listing a property or buying a property, Joseph is the guy to call. I'm. A, I mean, I can I can be a witness. Like they say down here in the old southern churches. Testify, uh, baby. <laughs> look, it's yeah, good. Uh, look, uh, it's really good to be back with you, th- you two on here. It was a great podcast. I think we gave some people some great ideas about where to travel to and planning their next hunt. Josh brought the hard data. Uh, Jay Paul brought the, the wisdom from traveling. So I think it was overall it was a great podcast. Yeah, man, I enjoyed it. Missed you both very, very badly, and uh, you know I, I I can't wait to get back into it again next week. Really, hear you guys' thoughts after you check out this article. But more than anything, it's just good to be back with with both you guys. And for all you folks out there that have been uh, hollering at us, telling us you'd miss us talking about the ducks, hope we've given you a little bit fix this week to your addiction and we're definitely going to come back and talk a little more about duck hunting next week here on the on the x podcast powered by DuckSouth.com.